Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan from Startups.com, joined as always by Will Schroeder, CEO and founder of Startups.com. So, Will, we, we talk about a lot of things here, and you know we've talked about all sorts of aspects of startup companies, but at what point... And how far into my old age do I have to be before my startup starts to push me around, you know, bring me tea and, and coffee or something like when, when does it make me happier? When is it going to, when is it going to start to pay me back ever? <laughs> Stops running you into debt and driving yeah. all your anxiety and sending you to the yeah. doctor. I mean like then? Exactly. Like then. Yeah. When is that? <laughs> does that happen at some point? Is that part I don't of the know. story? <laughs> I, I hope so. I, I was I was told so many many years ago. This is just the horror story. Freddy Krueger just keeps coming back, and there's and there's <laughs> nothing. It's so interesting. It's just a, kind of a life thing. We've now been through enough startups of our own, or with our friends, or folks that we get a, a chance to work with. Yeah. We're early in our careers. I guess we we couldn't really see how this thing was going to go. It's like life, right? You, right? you need to kind of live it to see how the whole arc goes. You can see other people and how they did. Just ain't the same until you go through it yourself. And I'll say this. I can probably point to three what I'd call full story arcs in my life of a full company uh, point where it went from total terror to, wow, this is going to last forever to, hey, this is a little less crappy than it was yesterday to, wow, things are going well. And for some reason, at the end of every one of those stories, I'm like, hey, let me just roll the dice again and make it terrible again. <laughs> right. Now that things are really good, I should probably push the, you know, the, the reset button. Well, I mean, I guess it's the same reason that, you know, when Michael Jordan won a championship, he wasn't just like, well, won the championship, you know, might as well just pack it up and, you know, earn my, enjoy my Nike millions. Like, you know, yeah. players want to play. You know, they they, well, they want to get in the he game. He decided to play baseball, right? He was. <laughs> let <me> go really <laughs> off script here. I'm, yeah, it's this basketball thing just gotten too damn easy. Let me try something. Tired of winning rings. No, but I think for a lot of us, we're listening to this because we're in the mix right now. We're we're yeah. in it. We're heads down. We're doing all the things that are difficult. Our startup feels like a total shit show. We assume everybody else must be figuring it out, but ours is just yep. a disaster with all these personalities and big issues that we should have been able to avoid. Side note, no, yours is the right. same as everyone else's <laughs> and probably not nearly as bad as as you think. But you know, when we're we're headlong in the mix, there's kind of this vision we have for down the road where at that point things will be okay. You know, at this point at this point it's terrible and I get it. But at that point, things will be okay. And, and right. if we start looking at how long it's taking to get to that point, at some point, we start scratching our heads going, is this ever going to, is there any light at the end of this tunnel? <laughs> right? <Yeah. laughs> is this ever going to end? And Good news, guys. The answer is maybe. <laughs> and if it does, you'll be dumb like Will and Ryan and start it all over again. Yeah. But the truth is, I don't think there is a definitive moment when everything changes. I think a lot of us think about it in terms of, well, we sold the company or we see person at IPO day, you know, ringing right, the right, bell right. and saying, well, that must be the moment. The yeah. truth is not really, you know, in no, fact, it's not fact, a somewhere a over the cases, rainbow moment where we get sucked up into a tornado and we just land in, in Oz and now everything's different, right? It's now it's, it's incremental and slow and but this is, you know, it's funny because it is two side, right? So sometimes it's, it's incremental and slow and we end up in that great place. Sometimes it's incremental and slow and we end up in a bad place, right? It's, it's the boiling frog 
thing. We just, it's changing so slowly that we don't really see or feel it. And, and it's a pity because when it does go well, sometimes it, we really have to step back and say like, well, actually this is quite a bit better and I am quite a bit happier. It just changed so slow that I didn't find that moment in which I could appreciate it. And that's a pity. To that end, I think that's what we can cover today. So for folks that are listening, I think what we could really touch on are acute points that you could maybe even look at right now in what's happening in your business and say, huh, yeah, actually, okay, that is a bit of a sign of progress. You know, things are a little bit better than they were before. You could also look at that and go, I am nowhere near that. (laughs) (laughs) That finish line must be a lot longer than I thought it was. But either way, what I've seen, again, in, in my own businesses, and watching other folks, and, and Ryan, you and I have shared some of these these milestones together with startups.com, is that there are moments where you can stop and say, ah, okay, this is when things started to get a little yeah. bit better. One of the first ones, you know, Ryan, that I think you and I have talked about a bit is when we can actually say no. Oh, yeah. We went through an exhaustive, exhaustive list on this, in fact, about things that we've said no to as we build, and some of them from right from the beginning. Right, because we've been through this this show before. Right? We've, you and I have both been around the the block a couple of times with startups. So there were some things that we said no to right from the beginning, and then there were some things that we sort of had to re-earn our way into being able to say no to. And, and that's it's a bigger deal than it sounds like. Right, it really does take a lot of the the stress off when you can say no to things like working way too much. Right, when when you can say no to things like you know, staying over, you know, one more Sunday and, and missing something important in life in order to do something important for the startup. When you can finally say no to that. And I would say it's not just about saying no, but it's about saying no and feeling like you're not compromising. It's at that point where I think the happiness comes in. Because at some points you do say no simply because you have to, because you're going to burn out, you're going to die otherwise. But I think it's there's a, mercy a difference. No. It's a mercy no. You're like, I just can't, right? I have to take a knee on this. But there's a difference between the mercy no and the no where it's like, you know, I'm not going to do that anymore because I don't have to. And it's not going to negatively impact the business. I'm not making a trade-off. There's no compromise. That's when it really feels good. When I was early, early in my career and a customer would say to me, I need you to work more hours for no pay, right? For as long as I want you to. The answer was just yes. Yes. Like it It didn't even occur to me that no was an option. Right. And again, probably my ignorance, probably, you know, growing up in a place where, you know, no wasn't an option, just because we were poor. And whatever was handed to you, you just said yes. It was like, hey, I have work for you. And the answer is yes. yes. And then you ask what the work is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, right. You, you don't even realize you're allowed, you're allowed the option. Well, so early, early in my career, where I was essentially leveraged and conditioned to be leveraged, to be fair, yep. where I had to say yes to everything. Uh, and didn't realize that that no was an option. And no is always an option. The question is what consequence you're willing to accept with no. Yeah, it's exactly you, know, you say, it. hey, no, I don't want that job. I'm going to stay unemployed. All you're really saying is, yes, I can say no. I just have to deal with the consequence. Yep. And early in my career, it didn't occur to me that if I said no, that there might be another way to get to that same outcome. That if I said no to that client, that I couldn't have just said, Sure, uh, I'll do sure. it if you'll pay me more. Right, right. I right. just assumed I I could be you know kind of bullied into the situation or really leveraged is probably the better way to say it. And at what point I found 
that I could say no. It wasn't because the company was doing so much better or you know I had so many more means. I think I learned that I could say no and my happiness started to skyrocket at that point because I realized the cost of saying no was so much higher than, um, or I'm sorry, the, the benefit of saying no rather was so yeah. much higher than the cost of saying yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think and, the benefits are, are myriad, right? It's, it's not just what it buys you in that moment. Um, it's, it's the sense of control that comes back because to your point, when, especially when you're, you know, if you're young and you're running a company, which we both did very similar companies, in fact, and, and you're relying on client work, you're hunting to eat. The sense is that you have to kill everything that comes from it. You've got to take every Absolutely. one of those jobs. You've got to build them all. And, and if I don't, then the next one won't come. Right. And it was like, do you ever, you know, do you ever shoot more than one Buffalo on uh, Oregon trail? No, I always died of dysentery. I've oh, well, had you made it, had you made it across the green river, uh, you, you would have found that, uh, you could, you could shoot more than one Buffalo sometimes and you can't take it all back to the wagon. All right. There's a maximum you can carry back, but you know, early on, you don't think about that. You don't think about saying no and what the benefits in doing so are. And, and I think that there's, there's a part of that that's practical, right? One of the things that in, in my business, I started saying no to were smaller jobs because I realized that the, the managerial overhead, the time it took me to administrate these smaller builds were exactly the same as the larger ones. I just made a heck of a lot less money. And I said, so I, I'm not going to do that. And that was a very practical reason. The other side of that was when I was able to start saying no, there was just an emotional change that made it feel like I was back in the driver's seat. I wasn't at the mercy of every client that came along who was willing to pay, right? Willingness to pay was no longer the only barrier to entry to getting me on your team to build something for you, right? That changed sure. at that point. And that was really freeing, right? And, and that made me a lot happier. I no longer felt like I was, you know, at beck and call and that I had my own destiny in my hands at that point. And that was a huge, huge, huge increase in happiness. Well, well let me add to that. So we, we talk about customers as an example of something we want to say no to. Another part would be in the happiness factor, and I think this is all in the same uh, bucket, would be employees or coworkers or how, oh, yeah. you know, co-founders, <laughs> however you want to put it, right? Yeah. People you just don't want to see daily anymore ever yep. again. Yeah. Uh, it happens. You it know? does. We went through uh, it. And I think everybody goes through it at, at different levels for different reasons. I mean, you know, relationships just don't always work. And I think at which point we can create the latitude to be like, hey, you know what? I actually don't have to sit through this every day, you know, yeah. for 12 hours a day or however long I'm going through it. I'm going to put my foot down and I'm going to change something. All of a sudden, my startup's making me happier. What's interesting about moments like that where you're saying no to a customer we were saying no to a, a toxic employer relationship or coworker relationship. Yeah, yeah. Saying no to an investor. It breaks a seal. It makes you realize, maybe for the first time, that a lot of the things that are making you unhappy are self-imposed. Yes. And that our lack of action toward breaking those seals is the problem. Yep. And look, man, I've been on either side of, uh, of these outcomes. In other words, I've been on the side where I did nothing and it made me miserable for a long yes. time. Yep. And I've been on the side where I've taken action and it was a huge problem. Right. <laughs> like, I, I, like I wish I could yep. control Z that situation, right? Like yeah, I should right. have been so bold. But I got to say, every single time I broke the seal and deliberately moved forward, 
my startup happiness went up by orders of magnitude overnight. Yeah. I mean, Ryan, you, you and I have been on these journeys together, you know, with startups.com and some of the things we've had to face. Whenever we just bit the bullet and just said, dude, we're dealing with this. Yeah. Right. Our startup happiness went up exponentially every other time. Yeah. I mean, or every we've time. Baked, kind of every we've baked time. some of these principles into, into things like our employee handbook, right? Which is we don't work with jerks, right? Like when we explain our company culture, we we specifically call out some of the things that we say no to in, I mean, fully documented, right? And this it's that important to us. And, you know, I, I think it goes back to the, we both said it slightly different ways, but it puts the power, at least the perception, you know, I mean, like, like you said, you can also, you can also use that power and make the wrong decision, wish that you could undo it. But even in the ones where you could undo, and I can think of a number of examples in, in my own life where this is true. Uh, and, and I would imagine that you can as well. Just being able to say that, yeah, I made the decision. It maybe wasn't the right decision. Maybe I, I wish I could undo that. But I was free to make that decision. I was free to say the yes or the no. And that drives a lot of happiness, right? Not feeling like you're leveraged in and you have to make a choice, right? And like, well, it's like there's an A or there's B, but there's really only a B. When you feel like you don't have a choice, it's hard to be happy about then following through on that work, right? And, and I think that's a huge thing that a lot of founders face. I know I've, I've gone through this at least to some degree with every one of my companies, you know, you can't always avoid it, right? I think that there's, there's a point in time at which, you know, you do have to be a bit more of a, a yes man or a yes woman and kind of, you know, just take care of business. But at that moment where you realize, as you said, you can break the seal and you can just start to take action in the way that you want to, right? For better, or for worse, there's still a, a, a strong sense of freedom, which I think in, in my case, at least breeds, breeds some happiness. I agree. And it's it's something that we can take the, the reins on. Also, again, if you're somebody listening and you're like, man, that, that sounds wonderful, but I'm kind of in a spot where I've just got to take it in the chin left and right. Yep. I think if, if we're going to try to work toward that, the startup making me more happy now versus later, you know, this deferred grat gratification, is yeah, honestly yeah. A, a bit of a ruse, look for something small that we can say no to. If nothing more than to just start the habit of being able to push back. Because I think over time... It's easy for us just to let the work pile up, the debt pile up, the uh, commitments pile up. Yeah. I think it's hard to chop them back down a little bit and regain some ground. So I would say even if you're not willing to make this big one step to say, hey, I'm going to you know, part company with this one coworker or I'm going to tell this one investor to go screw off, et cetera. I get that. Those are, those are maybe big, giant, toxic moves. However, there are some things that we can do right away where I can say, you know, I'm just not going to work. Uh, Saturdays, you know, <laughs> so I'm working yeah. weekends, right? Or I'm I'm just not going to risk any more capital. I'm going to wait a bit and just see if this thing starts paying me back. Just the action of pushing back and retaking your ground, I think, is incredibly empowering. Also, leads to a lot more happiness. Yeah, no, I think you're you're absolutely right. I think that it, in on one hand, it gives you some confidence and teaches you to be a bit more self-reliant. And I think that, you know, like you said, in your case, you were conditioned to accept that leverage. And so it was a behavior pattern that was, that was deep seated that, that had to change. And so it doesn't really matter how big that first step towards changing that is. It's important, right? That, that, that first little twist and saying like, you know what, not today, um, can, can have really, really big implications in the long term. Well, and I think if we advance that, when we're talking about when will my startup start making me happier, it's when it gets easier and easier to say the word no. 
Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's easier saying, and easier to any say. Any feeling no. of compromise, right? When I can say it exactly. and know that, like, these, I realize now that there's enough going right that saying no to just about anything isn't going to negatively impact the business. And yeah, it's that's huge. the point where you're, you're you know, that's panacea, right? Right. Choices versus options. So when we look at that, I think that that's one vector that's been really popular. For me, and, and I'm guessing this, is, this affects you as well, what actually was a bit of a turning point in the different businesses that I worked on that worked well, that made me happier, which is about half of them, yep. is when I could stop thinking about it. <laughs> I, I don't know if everybody yeah. processes stuff the way, I oh, know nobody processes stuff the way I do, so let me like, take that off the table. I am just maniacal about stuff. When I've got something that I'm working on, it's all I can think about. I'm yep. tunnel visioned around it. And it haunts my dreams. I mean, there's, I'm not exaggerating. I mean, it's every waking moment. It's during conversations where I'm talking. Yeah. I'm thinking about right. something thinking else. About something I don't else. Know that's possible. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I, I, remember, I, I remember being at lunch holding conversations with people where I don't even remember what we talked about because my head was thinking Somewhere about else. whatever startup problem I had. Happens and it all the time, consumed man. me yeah. 24-7. Yeah, and thinking about it, thinking about it's happen. probably not the right word. I think I think what you meant was obsessing about it. Obsessing, right? oh, it, yeah, right. Much obsessing, better. yeah, because I, I think that that it's a more ac- adequate and accurate description of of how we actually do it. Right? I don't know that I ever really stopped thinking about it, but I think it stops being constantly front and center, like you said. Like I'm having a conversation with someone, I'm talking to my wife, um, and and then I hear myself saying something. I'm like, how in the hell did we get to this point in the conversation? Did I just agree to buy a car? What happened? <laughs> um, and right, like, uh, because you, you aren't, you aren't there mentally. And, you know, I think that there are points in time, certainly there was a point in time for me where I felt like that was some kind of a superpower. Like there's no off switch. I'm just always on. I'm always thinking about my startup. It's going to be so much better because it will have my full attention 24 hours a day, uh, whether I'm awake, asleep or talking to somebody about something else important, I'm there, I'm, I'm in it to win it. Right. As we age and as we go through this, you know, more and more times, I think we start to realize that um, burning the candle at both ends doesn't necessarily make it any faster, easier to, to grow. Um, and you end up with a lot less candle, a lot faster. And so I think that it is an important lesson to know that like, we should break that cycle of, of constant obsession and always be thinking about it. But that's another one of those things where like, I think people listening now are going to say, yeah, cool. Now that you guys are eight years in on this one, I'm sure you can think about it a little bit less. You also have more people helping you to think about it. Um, Absolutely. You know, when you're early stage solo founder, there, there are these times where you, you may need to invest an inordinate amount of time and thought into it. But this is not what, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about at what point does it make us happier? And well, absolutely, the minute we can stop obsessing is one of those moments. And, and even if we, if we give ourselves, again, we're looking for little ways we can take milestone breaks, you know, toward that happiness yeah. now, or, or at least we, where we can see it starting to, to change from its state right now, this kind of, you know, evil, all-consuming state to something that starts to pay us back a bit. Yep. When I can stop thinking about it, is also when I have the luxury of not thinking about it. I, you know, as you pointed out, when we're doing nothing but racking up debt, kind of hard to stop thinking about it. Right? <laughs> because, yeah. you know, I'm going to bed crying about it. I'm waking up cr- probably crying about it. You know, yeah. I, like, I, I don't have a choice but to be thinking about it all the time. When we start to see that startup go from beat me into the ground to, hey, maybe I'm enjoying it. It sounds odd, but it's when I stop thinking about it. It's when yeah. I'm just like paying attention to football or I'm going building something in my workshop or I'm playing with my kid and I'm just not 
thinking about it all the time because I have the luxury of thinking about other things. The, yeah. the moment that world starts opening back up, I know I'm starting to head toward the right side of this story arc. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I'm sure that there's there's probably an entire episode around this, but we could we could dig into. I think it's one of the reasons that a lot of founders are attracted, are adrenaline junkies. They're attracted to things that drive adrenaline because I think for, for a lot of us, at, at, especially at that point where we are fully obsessed, something dangerous, something that drives adrenaline, something that steals every bit of our focus is the only way to change that focus, right? If there's an immediate threat of death, okay, I'll prioritize that for a couple minutes, right? Otherwise, like you said, you're in the middle of a conversation, you're, you're at a kid's soccer game, you're, you're somewhere where by all rights, you should be present and enjoying that. And yet your mind is a million miles away back at your desk with, with startup on your mind, right? And so I think that there's, again, like there's probably an entire episode there to unpack around what else that says about us as founders. But so many of us are adrenaline junkies and need something that truly, truly fully occupies our mind and takes our attention away from it because we can't intentionally do that, right? We can't just say like, hey, I'm going to break my attention. I'm going to go and I'm going to do something else for a little while. And we just get stuck in these loops of, of constant recirculation of thoughts on the startup. And, and I'll be honest, like in my own case, most of the time it wasn't that productive, right? It was truly just obsessing. Yeah, of right? course. It yeah, didn't well, actually help anything. There's parts where I love obsessing. You know, we're working on oh, some products right now. I didn't say I didn't enjoy it. I just said it didn't no, 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 help no, no, much. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Listen, I think the difference here is the optionality of not having to think about yes, it. Yes. Right? It, before, it wasn't just I was so excited all the time that I just I couldn't think about anything else. There's some of that. But most of it was I was terrified all the time. And I couldn't stop worrying about it. Yeah. And yeah, so totally different. I was reactive. I was in fight or flight mode the entire time. And... That's not a luxury, you know, at some point it's doing more harm than good, just like you're saying, right? You know, at, at some of those thoughts are good. Most of them aren't. They're just worrying for the sake of worrying. Oh, I'd be thinking about and the same I, thing for the fourth time, the fifth time. I'm not generating new thought. I'm just going back through the same damn thing again. Which is most of, yeah, which is most of what, what our worrying, you know, instinct kind of is. Yep. At which point we can say, hey, I'm going to worry about this, but I can stop and go play with my kid and life will be okay. That is yeah. totally different, yeah. right? And I think at which point our startup starts making us happier, it's when we don't have to obsess about things. We don't have to worry about things. Life's going to be okay. We can. Doesn't mean, you know, we're, we're turning off our drive. It's just not a survival mechanism at that point. Like that's, right. it's so obvious when it's there and when it's not there. And I, and I think it dovetails into another kind of related point, which is when it's not the only thing in my life. Yes. Uh, yeah, I was getting ready to say, know, let's take this a high, let's take this one step higher and say, here's the reason we no longer have to obsess about it, and that's because it's not necessarily the most important thing anymore, right? I got to say, I look back on this now, but from the time when I was 19 to about 25, 26, I did nothing but work 24/7, uh, 365. And and again, people go back and they they romanticize what that is. Like, oh, I was working all the time. Like, dude, no, you weren't. Like, how many vacations did I remember you going on, et cetera? I went three years and I never even saw my family for Christmas. I mean, yeah. I never stopped working. It didn't even occur to me that, that, that I could or should. And my point there is I was obsessed. I was excited about the business, but I definitely wasn't happy. Right. There's a huge difference. Huge difference. Yeah. Right? 
And I didn't understand it at the time. Again, I just hadn't been around long enough, didn't have enough reps on the planet to understand what was happening. But here's what happened. My startup consumed me. It became every instinct in me was, right. was based on the startup, right? It was like my neurons. If the startup was doing well, I was doing well. If it hit a, a, a rough patch, I hit a rough patch. There was no balance outside of the startup. And it ruined me because yeah. it's not a very healthy relationship. No, right? not at all. It's not, it's not good for you or the startup, in fact, because it, no. it's at that very moment. And we've talked about this in, in, actually, we've touched on this in more than one episode. But when the startup starts to struggle is when it needs you the most, right? And so if you are inextricably tied to this thing, if you are linked at such a deep level that the second the, the, the startup starts to take a downturn, that you also mentally, emotionally, physically start to take a downturn, it makes it that much harder to, to course correct. Right? And of course, it's easy to say, right? Because uh, of course, we're, we're closely tied to these things. Um, and so like this point that we're discussing now, you know, it no longer being the most important thing it no longer being, you know, entirely wrapped up or in our identity and, and vice versa, that's transcendence, right? That's not easy, right? It would, and this isn't something that even I, I think everyone achieves with every one of their businesses, even if they're successful. I don't know that this is always a foregone conclusion that you get to that point where you can separate yourself to that level, right? This is, this is level 10 wizard shit. Right. You've, well, you've, it is. It is. But but listen, man, we get to a point in our in our lives where you know, if, let's say we're single, and this is the only thing we have going on. I like like it was in my case, right? I think at that point, it's easy to get consumed. It's easy to say, "Hey, whatever's happening here is all that's happening." Yeah. My life didn't change until I had kids. Sure. Right. Sure. It, like for the first time in my life, there was something else more important, and I'm not discounting that from say my relationship with with my wife, but her and I kind of kind of rode the the ups and downs together, right? So yeah. it it it, yeah. it kind of felt like we were both on the same plane. My kids don't give a damn about what's happening at work, and I hope they never do. Right? I mean, to right. be fair, right? You know, yeah. my, my, my kids are so young, and so at that point, all of a sudden, my the most important startup was the one that I was building at home. And at first, I thought that was going to be a challenge with you know trying to, to build a company. And Ryan and I, you and I, both had the same kind of thoughts because we built families at the same time. Yep. And it wound up being one of the most valuable aspects to changing my perspective because what what happened was, was all of a sudden I wasn't chained to a hundred percent of the emotional roller coaster just with what was happening at work. Yeah. Right. Like I had a life outside of work. It's kind of that simple for the first time in my life. And all of a sudden, stuff happened at work and it, it bummed me out. And it's not that it didn't bother me. It just wasn't a hundred percent of my emotional energy. Sure. And that changed yeah. things dramatically. Yeah, it, it, it's, it can be an interesting um, additional support in, in your overall mental and, and emotional well-being, right? Like having family and friends, there, there are a lot of pillars that support us as, as founders. But to your point, there are po times in, in the startup where we're just so consumed with what we're doing that those other supports don't, don't exist. I mean, in the case of our families, they truly like our kids just didn't exist at all. But even before that I had, you know, I had friends, I had, I had existing family and they sort of went by the wayside, right? I just ignored them. Um, and so I think that it does take, it, it's like I was saying before about the adrenaline thing, right? We need something like some seminal moment where that it comes and like kind of cracks us out of that family being one of them. Um, and I think there are other things that can happen, but certainly for both of us, I think that was, that was a major turning point in being able to say, 
I am more than this startup company and the startup company is more than just me, right? And so we can both exist a bit separately, right? And <laughs> I do remember that there's just like with uh, with kids, you know, around that 18 month old uh, stage where they get that horrible separation anxiety. I, I definitely have gone through phases of that as well, where it's like I did distance myself a little bit more and I was trying to convince myself it was no longer the most important thing. And then the further I would get from it, the, the more scared I would be. And it actually drove more anxiety um, in the that. short yeah, term. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, it's, it, it cuts both ways. And I think once we start to diversify kind of the amount of emotional investment we've got, which by yeah. the way is so healthy, hard to do, but incredibly powerful. It's transcendent. It, it really is. It, it is. And it actually makes us better at our startups. Because yeah. I think when we're so heavily and emotionally invested, every single rock in the boat, we react more than we need to, way more than we need to. I know I did. Uh, we react way more than we need to. We start looking at all the little changes that happen daily when we're supposed to be looking at a little bit more of a long view yep. as to, you know, is this a blip or a trend? Um, and the easy way to get stuck in that is have nothing else to focus on. Yeah. Right? right. I mean, yeah. Um, and so I think once we're able to zoom out and, and, and often it's, a, it's a learned, uh, an earned kind of behavior, right? Where we've, we've been doing the startup long enough where we can say, you know, things are going to be okay. I can go focus on this other thing for a minute and things will still be okay. That is when we, our happiness starts to kind of go up a level. I mean, you know, what's really interesting about everything we've talked about today is that they're 100% in our control, right? Like there wasn't anything that we talked about in any of those three points that required anything more than kind of a shift in mindset, right? It is. And, and I think when you and I were recounting our younger years, very long ago, <laughs> uh, I think one of the things we were implying wasn't that we couldn't make those decisions, is that we just didn't know that we could. Right. Right. We, we didn't know we could say no. We didn't know we could stop thinking about it. We didn't know that that had to be the only thing we were working on. I think it wasn't until we had some more time and we learned a little bit more, a little more experience, where all of a sudden we started to say, eh, you know what? I actually have the luxury of being able to say, I don't want to do this or That's I want right. to focus my, my time elsewhere. And lo and behold, that makes me happier. So I think we just inherently started doing more of that. But we could have gone back from the start or if we were coaching someone right now, I could absolutely sit down with a founder and say, look, you're not in Shangri-La town today, obviously. But let's deliberately pick off a couple tiny things you can do to start making that light at the tunnel a little bit more clear, a little more close to you. And I think that, yeah. that's very open to us. No, I think so too. I think it, it, it proves the possibility. And it was what I was saying before around breaking that cycle of being conditioned to accept being leveraged. Right? Yes. It's the same thing. I think once, even if it's a tiny little step, once we take that first one, you, your analogy of breaking the seal is exactly right. And then once you do that once, doing it again and again and again and kind of dialing up the, I don't know, the magnitude of what you're saying no to or what you're not paying attention to or, you know, what is the most important thing in your life becomes that much easier. Right? It starts with a small step and I think it can build. And I think you're absolutely right that we could take, you know, a, a founder who started yesterday and help them to understand they could start doing those things right now. There isn't really a point at which you earn the right to do it. I think you just stumble across the realization that you can. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things we didn't mention specifically in, in any of this 
We didn't say things like it'll start making me happier when it's generating more revenue or when it's profitable or when you know we get out of debt or we raise a round or we sell the company. And all of those are wonderful. By all means, great goals. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, but sure as hell don't wait until those happen to be happy. They're also just a means to this end, right? Most of the folks, myself included, who say, hey, you know, this is when it made me happier. It's when they realized they could take these steps, not when when the, the business, you know, magically allowed them. In yeah. fact, I would say some of my my toughest runs, you know, when I was thinking in terms of, of when I was beating myself up the most, when I was least happy, was when we were making plenty of money. You know, some of the things people forget right. when they haven't been making any money is making money is stressful as hell too because stakes go up left and right. You have all kinds of people that are now entering into the equation that that want their hand in things, investors, partners, employees, everybody. And now it gets way more stressful, way more moving parts. Again, I feel an while, entire episode coming on around that. Uh, <laughs> we could go on all day. The, the, the point though is... Uh, the basis for making yourself happier when the startup will make you happier is when you take control of that outcome and start making deliberate steps to making it happen. That's a wrap for this episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan on behalf of my partner, Will Schroeder, and all the startups.com family thanking you for joining us. And we hope you'll continue to join us. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on iTunes or wherever you love to listen to Startup Therapy. You can find all of our episodes at startups.com slash podcast. If you're looking for more amazing resources to launch or grow your startup, be sure to head to startups.com and check out Startups Unlimited. It's everything we have to offer from our online university to our amazing community of experts and founders, and even all the tools we've built like BizPlan, Fundable, and LaunchRock. It's everything a founder needs. Visit startups.com slash begin. That's startups.com slash B-E-G-I-N. You'll thank me later. 